Hello Smorgasbordas, welcome once again to the Smorgasbordas podcast where each and every week we interview interesting personalities from the grassroots surf community. Today I chat with the man who began Honey Surf Wax back in the 70s and went on to build what is arguably the most successful independent surf store in Australia, Natural Necessity, in Gerringong on the New South Wales south coast. I had the great pleasure of catching up with Kent Ladkin recently to talk about surf retail, the current state of play, what he believes the future holds and the age of the waterman. It's an interesting insight into the surf industry through the eyes of a guy who has lived and breathed it for over 40 years. Kent shares his views on everything from bricks and mortar to online retail, surf fashion through to surf hardware and his love for epoxy surfboards. Speaking of people with a great deal of experience, this episode of Smorgasporter Podcast is brought to you by the guys at BOQ Budrum. Marcus Henderson and Sam Archer collectively have worked in the banking sector for over 35 years. They know their stuff and they also know what their customers want in a bank. And as owner-managers, they've styled their service to suit. The boys provide old-school service and are even happy to meet in person at your place or theirs. As always, this episode of the Smorgasporter podcast is available on Apple iTunes and Spotify under Smorgasporter, with links also provided on our social media feeds. It is also available on smorgasporter.com.au, where you can also order a home delivery subscription of our magazine. $25 sees you get four editions delivered to your door. The mag is still free. You're only paying for postage and handling. Alternatively, you can download a digital edition for free at smorgasborder.com.au. With that done, let's now get on with my chat with Mr. Kent Ladkin. So I suppose the whole thing is... is you know, you've got such an extensive background in not only retail, everything, merchandising, you name it. So it'd just be good to get your perspective on the state of play and, and what you see unfolding kind of thing. Um, yeah, well, the majors are definitely taking over. Um, in the cities now, there's pretty much no uh, independence left, very few. Um, in all the big shopping centres, you can't be an independent because you need a vertical margin. Otherwise, mm. it's non-survivable. So because the big guys have vertical margin, they can make you know wholesale and retail and it's worth their while. So pretty much all the independents have gone out of shopping centres. And I think more than half of the independent stores have closed, like uh, in the last uh, 10 years. Mm-hmm. And nowadays... If you want a variety of surfwear, um, the city stores really don't have it. They've just got one brand um, and, you know, they have the full range of the one brand or if they have the peripheral brands, uh, they're in there as well. Uh, but they might get second-tier brands like Rusty and O&E and that and they might give them two pieces in the whole shop. So, therefore, when the... Uh, reps are telling us that surfwear in the city is dead except for the majors. Um, there's no variety in any of those stores. So that's where we come in because 
um, because we've got a massive store and we've got you know a couple of hundred labels, we pick the best of everything. Like I was just in Byron Bay last week and I went into one of the major stores and I looked at the wall and it was the entire range of their brand. But when I bought that range, I only picked maybe one out of 10 or two out of 10, but they had all of the ones that I would have rejected. And whereas, um, you know, we're able to pick the best of all the different brands. So in a way, even though the majors are taking over in the big shopping centres and the cities, they can't really compete with us if people are willing to drive to the country uh, because we've got the 100, 200 brands and the selected best of all of it. And obviously as a shopper, you're going to like that variety a lot more. Um, so I'm, I'm confident for the future, but um, business itself, retail trading, you know, it's going down, whatever it is, 10% a year. And um, what's driving that there, you know? I think uh, there's a lot less discretionary income. Um, people's um, living expenses and everything else and the fact of very slow wage growth, there's not that dispensable income, that um, discretionary income that would normally have been available. And, um, you know, the country is massively in debt. Um, I mean, all the individuals are. Um, they're saying if the uh, base rate for interest on... Uh, the banks goes up by half a percent, potentially up to a million households won't, will default on their loans by mm. uh, within the next couple of months. But hopefully they won't put the interest rate up and then that's not going to happen. But, you know, a lot of people jumped into that rising real estate market and maxed themselves out. And now, you know, they're struggling to pay and therefore they don't have that other discretionary income. Mm. And I think the market's been flooded to a great extent as well. You know, there's just how many T-shirts and board shorts and things do you need? Mm. So I reckon um, business has become a lot tougher. It's a lot more competitive. Um, there's a lot of um, competition in clothing and hardware. And you're saying before hardware is struggling, is it? Or? Um, no, hardware is going really well. Um, that's one section of the surf market that has got reasonable growth mm -hmm. um, you know boards have a higher price now and they have a slightly better margin mm -hmm. and um, therefore it's because of the epoxy surfboard revolution most of the backyarders can't do that mm. and therefore previously you couldn't compete with the backyarders because they're willing to work for two dollars an hour um, I, I met this guy who was making surfboards and I said to him, um, how many boards a week do you make? And he said, three. I said, how many hours does it make to take to make each one? And he gave me the amount. I said, what's your, what's your uh, rent? What's your telephone and internet? Um, and uh, material costs on each of the boards. And I worked it out for him. He was making a dollar an hour. He had another job to keep his surfboard manufacturing going. So surfboard manufacturing has never been a big money earner because everyone's willing to do it for next to nothing. If you go into the retail world, boats have the lowest markup and surfboards are even worse. So now that there are boards that have some differentiation that backyarders can't do and we can sell those, um, that enable, and they're, they're, they're a lot more uh, durable and um, 
better value. Therefore, you know, finally epoxy boards have gone, starting to really go off. Since Kelly Slater bought um, Firewire and since all the pros now are writing epoxy, um, it's accepted a lot more in the marketplace. And um, it's, uh, I I mean, I recognise the the fact that epoxy boards are better the first time I ever rode one, I was just like, my God, you know, why do the pros ride a board that is one layer of four ounce glass? And, you know, Geordie Smith, I think, broke three in one heat at the Gold Coast a few years ago. Um, but you can get a board that's the same weight as what that is, that's 20 times stronger than your old regular board. Therefore, um, people are finally waking up to it. And, um, you know, we've specialised in epoxy boards from the very beginning. We have probably about 30 brands now. And when we get offered boards from new manufacturers, mostly they do the old PU construction and the EPS construction. We just take the EPS and specialise in that. And in 1,000 boards that we have in stock, we only have about 15 PU boards. They're pretty much all EPS. Mm-hmm. And um, they're a lot more durable. Um, you can have them in demos and the guys aren't going to go out and break them. And, you know, the, the hardware... And now that boards don't come with fins, that offers us a bit more opportunity. And, um, yeah, and paddle boards, you know, that was a whole great new area that allowed us to um, have what we call a blue water product where it's a completely new revenue stream with new customers, um, not interfering with your existing revenue stream. And... Um, and the margin on them is okay. And, um, so is that levelled out now? Is that oh yeah, stagnated? It, it peaked about two or three years ago, but it's still a good solid component probably for our store, about um, 30% of all the boards sold. Um, a stand-ups? Yeah, stand-ups. So it's... Um, and how about things like skate and all that kind of thing? Oh, they're such a cyclic thing. They come around about every 10 years. Um, at the moment, they're not happening. Um, but there's a new invention of skateboard with a cable coming off the tail with a brake, um, the street board, and mm-hmm. it allows you to go down really steep hills and um, go in areas that you'd normally not be able to skate. So they're really starting to pick up, and um, there's there is that area, but um, and yeah, skate snow, pretty... snow, snow is... no, it's it's too hard. We we did snow for. 25 years and then dropped it about three years ago. It's um, it's so fickle and, and it's dependent upon the snow conditions and then it depends upon the Northern Hemisphere snow conditions because if they have a bad year, they dump all their stock and people buy it online from overseas, even though <laughs> generally it's a big disappointment to them because they get the wrong fitting boots or they get a board that doesn't work for them and um, it's too late to do anything about it. But in the meantime, they don't come and buy another one. Mm. And um, but snow is is a really um, hard market. You know, once again, I think when people have discretionary income and it used to be going down the snow for a week every year, I don't think people are doing that as much. Mm. Um, I might be wrong, but it seems to me that um, we just don't have the amount of foot traffic of people that were interested in even doing it. Um, and with the, the tapering off of apparel, is it 
across the the board, men's and women's, or um, no, women's it hasn't or? really. We're still actually we're still got growth in in. You know, look, the thing is, we, we had we had twenty years of growth, um, you know, really solid growth, but since the GFC, it's pretty much levelled off, um, and we haven't had that growth. So we've just got to struggle with um, margins and keep the um, you know keep their expenses down and 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 really just survive. It's become a survival game, whereas. In the past, it was just like a milk run. The growth that you had every year allowed you to make mistakes and, and, and not really have to run that tight a ship. But in this day and age, everything is absolutely a knife edge. And um, it's, it's, uh, you just have to be really on it the whole time and know exactly what you're doing. Um, you can't afford to buy a stock that's not going to sell. Um, you can't afford to not have a good relationship with your bank. You can't afford to not um, um, have, re- you know, pay and keep really good staff because it's, uh, it's such a multifaceted thing. It's not just one thing, it's everything. It's, it's, it's what you buy, it's who your competitors are, um, it's, it's your margins, it's your overheads, it's your advertising. Um, it's a it's a very um, complex situation to be in business nowadays. Whereas in the past, I don't think it was that crucial. You know, and you have to have an understanding of the whole online phenomenon. And I think in the future, well, uh, even now, um, you know, Surf Stitch went bankrupt last year. Uh, Iconics, you know, I heard was massively in debt. And, um, you know, online doesn't really work. And on the other hand, bricks and mortar doesn't really work because, you know, half the, half the stores have shut in the last 10 years. And what the future I see is that it's a combination of bricks and mortar and online. You know, that's the future of retail. And that's, that's where we're at. You know, we've created our online store uh, about 10 years ago. And um, we find that people go online, research the product, and then phone up and want to talk to a human so it's that union of bricks and mortar and, um, and online that is really the way forward. And especially in hardware, you know, people research it all online and then they phone and they'll talk to us on the phone for half an hour and um, then they'll come down and try the demos out and then they'll, um, then they'll buy, you know. The more expensive something is, the more someone needs to know about it. And um, that's where the online comes on to um, give them that information and... It's interesting to get that perspective too, the, the shortcomings of online that people still want to deal with as human and get a, a, a greater understanding of the product. Mm, for sure. And is that also to that extent the, you know, the, the demo boards and all that's been a you, big part of the success too, being able to um, take the boards yeah, out? And... Yeah, for sure. We've got a, we, a, Firewire told us we're their biggest account in the world. That was a couple of years ago. And I'm sure it's to do with the fact that we have the largest demo fleet in the world. You know, we have 150 boards that people can come in and borrow and we charge um, not very much and then we refund it when they buy a board. So... Um, kind of in some ways it makes sense. The analogy is you're never going to buy a car without test driving it, are you? Mm. So different, different, obviously, purchase price, but it's still a considered purchase, as you said, and you want to get a sense of 
how it's going to feel, how it's going to handle. Yeah, and the beauty of now all the epoxy boards, they're generally stock models. We only do a tiny amount of customs. Um, therefore, the one that you try will be identical to the board that you buy. And therefore, um, you, you know exactly what you're going to get. And um, yeah, having, having knowledgeable guys in the shop, you know, between all the staff that I've got and, you know, um, there's probably, we worked out there was over a hundred years of retail surf experience between about four of us. Um, Forty of that's mine, of course, or more. <laughs> um, but, you know, all the other guys, 15, 20 years each and that. Um, and that expertise is absolutely crucial moving and forward. Any other developments in the industry are, you know, worth noting or that you're looking towards for the future that you think will shape the outcome of um, retail? I read a thing once that the, they did a survey on sports in Australia and 70% of people said that they surfed. Now that's across the population and that means that they body surfed or they rode a bodyboard or they swam in you know, whatever, they, they, and then they surfed boards or males or whatever. The next closest sport was something, you know, I think it was netball at about 20% or something. So an in, in, intrinsic part of the Australian psyche is the fact that we are all surfers and um, when you go to America it's a completely different situation most people don't associate themselves with the coast you only have to go inland two miles and you have some different subculture but in Australia um, I think surfing will always be an inherent part of the Australian psyche and um, personality and therefore we may go through ups and downs when other trends come and go or we have bad summers or whatever, but I believe that the long term for the surf industry in Australia is very good. You know, some of the big majors might have had some mismanagement that have stuffed them around or they've been too ambitious or greedy or whatever in the hell that they've done that they've screwed it up. But, you know, or they've bought up all the stores from all these guys that have been around for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years and then put kids in there to run it who have no idea of the real culture of the, the business and then wonder why they're not going so well. And, um, but I think the, the, you know, the beach and surfing, and as people get more leisure time, and as, well, you only got to go on the surf now, and half the people out there are usually baby boomers, you know, and they're all coming right into retirement now. And, um, you know, my children's generation are very keen in surfing. Um, I think people are becoming much more waterman oriented in the true sense of the word. A waterman is someone who rides a paddleboard, they windsurf, they um, surf a bodyboard, they surf a surfboard, they surf a mal. Uh, I know my kids are like that. They're, they really have fun on every different mode that they can. And um, There's no longer those perceptions of uh, you are a short border, a long border, or a body border, everyone just enjoys, it's enjoys the water. And that fits in really well with your magazine mm. um, because of the fact that, um, you know, a lot of kids grow up on body boards and then move to surfboards. At, and then, you know, they'll catch, get a paddleboard and they'll get a mal. I'm, I'm thinking about five guys I know out on the point here. And it's, um, it's great to see because um, that small, narrow, 
um, parochial type mentality of just being a shortboarder or just being whatever um, no longer applies. And therefore, that's one thing that the market can grow in regards to. Um, we mightn't sell as many boards to one person who's not going to break their PU board every year that they used to, um, but now they're going to have a whole quiver of short boards and fishes and um, you know high performance and mouths and um, paddle boards. Um, it's, it's great. I think you know that whole coastal ocean lifestyle um, Australian psyche is as strong as ever, and it's only going to get stronger as we really find who we are. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Ken Ladkin. He certainly has some interesting views on the surf industry and what the future holds. Remember, if you wish to read more about interesting surf personalities, you can do so by tuning into the Smorgasporter podcast each and every week. Alternatively, you can pick up a copy of Smorgasporter magazine. A free digital download of each edition is available at smorgasporter.com.au. If you are after a print copy of Smorgasporter magazine, beautifully produced on artboard stock, it is available for $25 through the Smorgas store at smorgasporter.com.au. $25 gets you four editions delivered to your door. Cheers, Smorgasporters. Get wet, and we'll check you next week.